0: You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Uh, Acts chapter 2 is where we are. We at our church, if you're visiting with us today, we just go through the scriptures verse by verse, book by book so we don't miss on anything that God has for us. And we come to Acts chapter 2 this morning. Before we get to the text, I want to ask you a question. It's a simple question, but think about this. Don't give me an answer, just think about this. What is the most significant event that has had the most profound impact on Christianity and faith in Jesus Christ in the history of the world? What is it? Just think about it. What's the biggest event that's had the most impact on Christianity and faith in the world to this point? I know most of you are thinking, it's Christmas and Easter, right? Christmas and Easter. Well, clearly it has to be when Jesus came. Absolutely ding. If you thought Christmas, you're right. Sunday school answer, you're right, it's Christmas, Christmas is one of them, right? And then Easter, of course, when Jesus died and rose again, like, that has to be the life-changing moment for Christianity in the history of the world, correct? Correct. Christmas and Easter are the right two answers. I know you guys think you're wrong. You were right. Just give yourself a hand. Did you say Christmas and Easter? You were right. So let me ask you this, so what about after those two, what's the most significant event that's ever happened for the movement of Christianity in the history of the world? You know where the text is, but if you didn't know the text, would you have answered that question that way? For instance, church history, there's a lot of significant things that God has allowed to happen over the course of the last 2,000 years since Jesus came. Some of you might be thinking along the lines of this. If you haven't been, thinking about this. Uh, 1382, John Wycliffe creating the first complete English translation of the Bible and making it available to common people. That's pretty significant, don't you think? Like, wow, we have the Bible now in our language. What about 1456, Johann Gutenberg? Producing the first printed Bible, making it accessible to the multitudes, that's a significant event. Well, 1517, Martin Luther, right, posting his 95 thesis, challenging the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church and ultimately leading to Protestantism and a faith, a salvation by faith approach to God instead of a salvation by works. That's revolutionary, don't you think? Then of course we have the 1740, the Great Awakening awakening here in North America, the widespread revival that changed the whole religious landscape of the Canada and even United United States and even Canada, igniting a vibrant, alive faith in this continent. Of course, you can't talk about significant events without 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls and finding the Dead Sea Scrolls and confirming all the scriptures that we know were true, confirming them word for word, and. Uh, holding up the reliability and authority of God's word. Those are all significant events, right? Any one of those could be like a number three after Christmas and Easter, yet there is another event that is, I don't know how it gets missed in the Christian dialogue in the Christian faith, but it's an event that supplants all of those, supersedes all of those things. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Yes, Jesus came at Christmas, then he died and rose again at Easter, but Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured down on his people, this is the single most revolutionary happenings within the Christian faith since Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And here's what we're going to study in Acts chapter 2, and I am praying that God would use this mightily in our lives, not just for head knowledge, but we'd We know this in our hearts and in the way that we live our lives, the full reality of what this means for us today. So I'm going to unpack this theologically and then practically for us. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 2. Read along with me. Look at the the, the subtitle, The Coming of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't do something in your heart. Make your heart want to jump a little faster. The Coming of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost arrived... Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were completely bewildered. Like, what in the world is going on? Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. This is pretty significant, don't you think? And they were amazed. And they were astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and these words just mess me up. I practice them all week and then they get here and, like, what? You read them the P, the two P's right there. Egypt, anyone know all that this morning, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "What does this mean? What does this mean?" Good question, isn't it?" But others mocking said, they're filled with the new wine. They're drunk, they've been partying all night. This is the third most significant event since the creation of the world, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it's crazy to me that this doesn't get more fanfare, and it barely gets mentioned in our Christian vocabulary. We talk a lot about the light bulb and how that changed our lives. This is the spiritual light bulb going off in believers We get all bent out of shape and all excited about the car and the the engine that that, that now takes us to all these different places. This is the the spiritual engine that drives believers and drives the church. See, in Acts chapter 1, we see the the believers gearing up for the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see Acts chapter 2, the history-changing moment when God's people experience the overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit in a brand new way that's going to redefine everything about their lives and their relationship with God. Acts is really a story about this, the unstoppable church, a God-empowered church, is this as we've been studying. It's Jesus-commissioned mission under God-appointed leadership with this, spirit-anointed believers. That's the unstoppable church, as simple as that. It's the God-empowered church. It's it's the church that is is commissioned by Jesus under God-appointed leadership along with spirit-anointed believers to carry out the work of Jesus. And so I so am so eager to help you understand this and even clear up any misconceptions about what the Holy Spirit is and what he does. This is a point we gotta get from this text today that we can't miss. Number one, I want you to write in your notes is this. Taking it right from the text, the Holy Spirit is a game changer for followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a game changer for followers of Jesus Christ. If you study this text, really the first four verses, the first four verses are just about how the Holy Spirit affects believers. The rest of this text is about how the Holy Spirit affects the unbelievers. And so we're going to spend, it's going to be a little lopsided this morning. We're going to spend more time talking about the first four verses just so you don't get panicked and be like, ah, we got like 10 minutes left. He's got another six verses. We're doomed. It's not going to be that way. All right. We're gonna spend more time on the front end than the back end, but we just have to get this if we're gonna fully understand what God wants for us as a church and individuals. So let me just start explaining this word for word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, and what's Pentecost? Pentecost is this, it's a second of the annual harvest festivals, 50 days after Passover. It was one of the great pilgrimage feasts of the Jewish people in which there was a massive gathering in Jerusalem for worship. So all these people are coming to worship God at a harvest festival. And then this happens. They're all in one place. Significant. Don't miss this. See this is when the day of Pentecost arrives. So there are tons of people are in Jerusalem. All the God's people are up in the upper room. What are they doing? They're praying, right? Seeking the face of the Lord, asking for God, and waiting for God's promise. So they were all together in one place. That's not insignificant in this text. You might skip over that, and be like that doesn't mean. That. So they're all together. Big deal. We're all together today. It's it, it, all 120 of them. Not one was missing to experience this great encounter with the Holy Spirit it shows you that God wasn't about to come on a day that someone missed the bus when the Holy Spirit came he came on all believers there was no favorites in this whole Holy Spirit coming thing it wasn't a special status for the leaders it wasn't for those who were a little more gifted and had some spiritual status this is for everybody he invited everybody in the church to this event the least to the greatest everybody's invited who's invited to this great day of Pentecost everybody don't miss that don't miss that it's confusion in our churches today about this very truth don't miss that and coming back to that they're all in one place and suddenly they expected it but was it expected it was expected but it was unexpected isn't the way that God works always expected but unexpected we know he's gonna work but then how he works just kind of blows our minds out of the water so suddenly there came from where from heaven, a movement of God. Again, we can just easily skip over this, but you can't miss this either in this text, that anytime something significant happens in the world in a spiritual sense, where does it come from? Heaven. Who appoints it? God. Who anoints it? God. Who designs it? God. So, so this was really God's time. It's not man's doing. It's not because they were praying. It's not about man. It's not because they had done something good and now God was going to show himself in a greater way. It's not about man. This is coming truly on God's initiation and God's prerogative from heaven. It simply is this. It's now is the time that God had ordained from before the beginning of the earth to pour out his spirit on his people. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Unpredictable. Unprecedented, mighty winds. The wind is in the scriptures is used as a, a picture of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel thirty-seven, verse nine. Write that verse down. You can look it up. John chapter three, verse eight. The Holy Spirit is is the wind is descri- is used to describe the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does, and, and picture yourself in this place. Like like, have you ever been to a place where the wind just kind of picks up heavily, and like you just know that the atmosphere is changing. You ever been in a place like that? I've never been through a tornado, but this is sort of the picture you get, right? Where you're doing your thing and all of a sudden like the the clouds get a little darker and the wind picks up, the trees start blowing, and it gets a little cooler, right? And you just kind of looking out the window, you're like, ooh, the wind's swirling, this is going to be a doozy, right? This is going to be a spiritual storm that is going to rearrange the landscape of all Christians of all time in a good way. The Hebrew word for wind or spirit is this. You just have to get this to it. It's so, so cool you study this passage. Uh, the Hebrew word for wind or spirit is Ru'ah. It, it really means breath or spirit is really, this is God breathing his spiritual life in his people. Genesis 2.7, Remember the Lord breathed life into the nostrils of man? It was Ru'ah. Here the Holy Spirit is coming. He's breathing spiritual life into the life of all believers. And so there's this wind, it's not just an average wind, it's not just a, a wind that, that no one knows where it came from, it's a wind coming from heaven, it's a significant wind, one that we uh, have never seen in the same way, but in, in a physical way, but seen in many, in the same way, in a spiritual way, many times, and along with the wind came this, verse 3, divided tongues as of fire that appear to rest and settle on each one of them. These weren't literal flames, it's... It's divided tongues as of fire, look like fire. The only way they could describe it is fire. It's kind of like a sci-fi movie, right? These, these flames that are kind of f- flickering around the faces of the people, and it's like a spe- it's a spectacular sight, don't you think? It's not like a ah, oh, it's gonna be a storm. This is like this is like a stop and take notice. This is awesome. What's going on here? Maybe a little freaky, but it's awesome. Fire also is significant in this text. Fire in the Old Testament indicates what? It indicates the presence of God. Especially in his holiness and his purity, like a fire consumes all things. It says in Deuteronomy 4.24 and Hebrews 12.29, so God in his holiness is like a consuming fire. And God's holy presence is bringing upon his people light and warmth and burning passion to the things of God. The Holy Spirit is descending upon his people to fall on them and to fill them with his presence and his power. For some of you to think, well, why has the Holy Spirit not been in the world before this point? Like, why did he wait until after Jesus came and after, you know, the, the, after Pentecost and after the death and burial and resurrection? That, that, that's just not true. The Holy Spirit has been around since the beginning. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, part of who God is, uh, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Equal in attributes to God with the same divine nature as God, and yet he's his own person, his own distinct role in all of the world. In fact, if you look back on Genesis chapter one in verse two, you know what you'll find? When God created, was the Holy Spirit, where's the Holy Spirit? He was actually hovering over the face of the earth. Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes upon God's people, mainly men at certain times, to equip and empower them to great feats for God. So the Holy Spirit's been working in the world and over the world from before creation began. But this is the moment, this is the moment where he is absolutely pouring out himself upon the earth in a brand new way. No longer is he going to be working in the world around man, he's going to be working in the world through man. and he has come to fall on and fill every believer and individual who loves Jesus Christ he falls on every member of Christ church and he fills every individual who loves Jesus taken here right from the text and they were all filled they were filled with the holy spirit he began to speak in other tongues as a Spirit gave them utterance. He fills every individual who loves Jesus. You kind of get this impression of the men in black sort of thing, you know, where the Spirit comes in and kind of comes in and comes, sort of the picture you get, right, of like the Holy Spirit coming in and actually taking up inhabitants in the people of God. He is falling on them, but he's also coming within them. Holy Spirit invading the lives of the believers. And don't forget here that the people in this passage, they were already already Christians. This isn't the first time that they encountered Jesus Christ. They were saved. They personally encountered Jesus Christ. But this is the first time that their souls were infiltrated with the presence of God. And, And every believer's heart actually became under siege and control of God Almighty. I read this and I'm like, man, this is amazing, I, I, I wish I was there, for, don't you wish you were there for this? You know, as you read some of church history, you're just like, man, I, if I could go back into a time vault, like, that's one event that I would not want to miss. Like, like, to be there and to see it and experience it, like, man, this is something I'd be talking about for the rest of my life, this is something that would change the whole trajectory of my life. Here's the good news out of this first part of this. We look at this, we're like, well, that was for them way back then and that doesn't affect me now. That was for them and, and for the early church and how God started the church. But what's that mean for me now? Uh, this, this, this is significant because this is simply just a picture of what Christ does in every single heart that professes faith in him and repents of their sin and turns to Jesus as their savior. Although we missed the coming of the Holy Spirit, the first time in the physical way that the people of God got to see. This is the norm for every soul that turns to Jesus Christ. And in fact, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 tell us that every believer, the moment that you realize that, man, I am a sinner and I am hopelessly lost without God, there is no way that I can have connection and fellowship with God. There's no way I get to heaven without Jesus Christ. The moment you realize that and you fall on your face and you... Say, God, I need you. God, forgive me. God, I want to turn from my wicked ways. I want to turn to you, Jesus. The moment you do that, guess what happens in a spiritual sense in your heart? Wind and fire of the Holy Spirit to indwell you. That's pretty cool, don't you think? You guys are looking really intense today. If I'm sitting listening to this, I've got a smile on my face like, wow. This is, the, this is the, the, the promise. This is the promise of Matthew chapter 3.11 when John says, I am going to baptize you with water, but Jesus, one who is greater than I, one whose sandals I am unworthy un- to even untie, he's going to come, he's going to baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. And although we don't even recognize this sometimes, this is honestly... Not an experience for the super spiritual like it's packaged today in churches. This is the reality of every single follower of Jesus Christ. If you've encountered Jesus, you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. God has taken your heart of stone right out of there and he's implanted with you in a heart of flesh that the Spirit causes to be alive to the things of God. Sometimes it's subtle and you don't realize it right away because it doesn't always happen exactly like it happened here. Sometimes it's pronounced and profound and you, like you, you, you encounter Jesus and you leave and you leave wherever you were. And you're like, that is just, I am a different person. Sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's pronounced. But the reality is this has happened in every single follower of Jesus Christ. And ultimately... Just like God did not want anyone to miss it, God is not gonna want us to miss this in our own lives. If you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, just like the people here in, in the New Testament church, they, they couldn't deny the fact that they had encountered the Holy Spirit. If, if, if you've encountered the Holy Spirit, let's just be honest, you can't deny the fact that he lives within you. You can't deny the fact that there was a, a, a wind, a breath of God that swept over you at some point in your life. That the all-consuming fire of God took over your heart and he, he flooded you with a, a, a soul that becomes alive to the things of God. He has flooded you with a joy that you never had before. He's flooded you with a hope that comes from, from only God. He's flooded you with a power for the things of God. There's no denying that this morning if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're following Jesus, you've been there, you've seen that, you know this. And it doesn't get old talking about it. It doesn't get old submitting yourself again anew to the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Two words every believer has to know in their lives. These two words, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you just can't know Jesus and not know about the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. I, I, I fear in the church we've, because of the Holy Pentecost and the Holy Spirit has become so many weird things in the world around us that we don't even talk about it anymore, and yet to miss this is to miss one of the most profound things that God has done. Amen. Let's be honest, we hear a lot about the Father, right? The founder and CEO of the universe. We hear a lot about the Father. We hear a lot about the Son. God's special agent that he sent on a rescue mission to come and rescue us from sin and from hell and put us on a path to to, uh, righteousness and heaven. We hear a lot about the Son, but not a lot about the Holy Spirit. When I was growing up, I thought the Holy Spirit must have been like the awkward little brother to the Trinity. Just the way my brain thought, I grew up in in a church that didn't talk about the Holy Spirit at all. And so I kind of pictured God and Jesus being kind of like the, the cool, the hip, the athletic big brothers, the all-Americans, you know? And then the Holy Spirit was a little awkward little brother. When he'd walk in the room, they'd be like, <laughs> here he is, let's get away from here. Like, Don't talk about him, he might do something weird here, you know? What a miss. What a miss, because the Holy Spirit's role in the believers' lives and in the church changes everything for them. Think of where the disciples were before this happened. They were in the upper room cowering away after Jesus died, right? And after this, everything's going to be changed. They're going to be transformed into bold proclaimers of the gospel. Twelve men that God used now to get the church, the church moving and the gospel to all ends of the earth, including why we sit here today. The believers are just regular average people, but this, this encounter with the Holy Spirit transformed their lives to being powerful tools and instruments in the hands of the living God for his purposes, We can't miss, we can't miss the significance of the Holy Spirit. Because this is the moment where God took over believers, he didn't just work around them, but started working in them, equipping them and empowering them to be who Jesus wants them to be, to be and to do what Jesus wants them to do. This is the greatest promise of Jesus, apart from one day you will be with me in eternity. I will send you a helper, he says in John 14, verse 16, to help you forever. One that will not just move next door and be a resource for you. One that's not just going to move in and live among you, but one who's going to infiltrate your very being. So the presence and the power of God is a part of you. Remember Acts chapter one, we talked about what the power of the Holy Spirit was when I helped you unpack the chapter one when the promise came that you'll, you'll, be, you'll have the power to be my witnesses. This is, this is the, the stick of dynamite. Remember the dynamite thing? This is the stick of dynamite of God in you that's gonna empower you in extraordinary God things. And ultimately, this is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to ignite us to the things of God and to empower believers to be who God wants us to be and to do what God wants us to do. So many misunderstandings of what this means. Holy Spirit is not given to indwell believers for believers. To give you some emotional spiritual experience or some wonky th- experience where you go off the wall and do some stuff like barking like the dogs and laughing like hyenas. And is it, that's not what the Holy Spirit came for. He's, he's, he didn't come to help you attain all of your earthly goals and dreams. He came to fall on you and fill you, to make you more like Jesus and empower your life to be a testimony to the greatness and the goodness of your God. He came to empower you as believers to understand the calling of God upon your life. understand the power of God within you and understand the calling of God on your life. What's the calling of God on our life? To know God and to make him known. To Know God and to make him known the Holy Spirit when he came upon the people, he is igniting their souls to this reality, and he, he is gonna over the course of their lives constantly bring them back to the main purpose of their lives. He brings us back to the main purpose of our lives to love the Lord our God with all of our soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbors, ourselves, and to go and make disciples. To go and make disciples. When the Holy Spirit fell on the people in Acts chapter 2, all of a sudden they, they found themselves with spiritual gifts. Here's a gift from God to you, not to unwrap and hold to yourself and say, oh, look how special I am, look what God's given me. Here's a gift to now use within the body of believers to serve the greater kingdom, to serve the purposes of God. He's given them a gift after the Holy Spirit came that we might be set apart for his mission to do good works and edify The church, it says in Ephesians 4.12, to build up the body, but ultimately to accomplish his mission through good works, Ephesians 2.10. This is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. He came, yes, to to draw you nearer to God, but to also put within you a spiritual gift, a calling that is far greater than anything this world has to offer, a calling to be a part of his mission in the world together with the body of believers. To put your life to effective use for the kingdom of God. To not sit around and waste your life or or cocoon yourself from the body of believers and from the mission of God and say, well, I just want to live this comfortable little life so that I can, God's going to help me get through life and attain all that I want in this life. No, he, He came for something far greater than that to affirm and confirm the calling of every believer. to be on mission for Jesus Christ. He also came, we see this being played out in the early church, to not just call them to mission, but also to give them the courage to live for Jesus. 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. Joshua 1.8 and 9 Jesus says to be strong. God says to Joshua to be strong and courageous. Where does this power come from for love and self control? Where does this strong and courageous come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit that enables us to do in the spirit what we could never do in the flesh. To seek the things of God and not go after the things of this earth. To stand strong in a world that aims to tear you down. To be seen as one of Jesus' unashamed followers. To be aggressive in your faith and not passive. To side with truth and do what's right in God's eyes. And not cave into all the pressures around you. To endure till the end. And to even speak the gospel to those around you. You see this? The Holy Spirit changes everything. Yes, he produces Christ's character in us. That's another topic for another day. In this case, he is calling us to the purposes of Christ and giving us the courage to live for Christ. That's what he's doing in the early church. How's the church going to go forward? Let's be honest. 120 people in the world? You put 120 people in one room and you say that you're going to take this gospel to the whole world, you're like, you're crazy. Put 650 people in our church and tell me that God has it wants us to take this this gospel to our nation already. I'm like, well, how's that gonna happen? Look at us, God. That's what you want to do through these people. You got the wrong pastor, because I'm not that great. Our people are great, but we're just average citizens. What's the difference? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this. Just stop here and ask you this. Do you, do you know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life today? If you're Christian, he's there. If you're following Jesus Christ, he abides within you. He's come in the same way. He came into your church. Do you know this power? Are you experiencing this power on a daily basis, on a regular thing, with God? And for God? be willing to suggest that many of us know about the power of the Holy Spirit, but few of us encounter the true power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Why is that? It might be because we're so busy and preoccupied with all of our stuff. It might be because we're scared and we don't, we, 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 we don't know what God's going to do with me if I fully submit myself to the Holy Spirit. It's, it might be because we really don't want the Holy Spirit. We want all God's gifts. We want all of his things he wants to do for us. We want heaven, but we really don't want to be used of God here on earth. But 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 are you knowing the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit? If you're attached to the vine, if you are actively daily attached to the vine, what the Holy Spirit is going to do in you is not make you a comfortable existence in the Christian life. He is going to actually call you and give you courage to live out your calling. That's what he's going to do to use you for his purposes. What's his purposes? Look what he does with these people in the early church. He anoints them to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's not minor. That's not insignificant. He allows them to speak in tongues. What's this mean? So much debate about this. What's this mean? What's this mean? Here's what tongues means. Tongues in the original language simply means this. It means languages, glossa. You speak in your native tongue. You're speaking your native language. Of every tribe and tongue, he's talking about every tribe and... That's what it means in this context. It's not some hocus-pocus crazy wild thing. It's like they've been allowed to speak in languages they don't even know by the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians 14, write that chapter down, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 21 to 22, it tells us clearly, as Paul unpacks some of the sign gifts, he says this. He says, tongues here, uh, here we see this, and also in 1 Corinthians 14, tongues are actually given, not for believers predominantly, but more importantly, it's a sign to unbelievers of the reality of God. Tongues has been given to, he was given to the early church that they could proclaim the greatness of God in every language of the men that were around there. And I think that's pretty cool, don't you? How amazing would that be to be sitting and talking to somebody and seeing someone from another country and asking God for the ability just to, to preach the gospel to them in the language that they could understand and to see God do that. That'd be awesome. As I read this, I even realized that in my life, like, Let's be honest, the world around us speaks a different language than we do, although we're all English, right? And sometimes it's just so hard to like, say the gospel to somebody the way they're going to understand, the way they're going to get it. And so how do we do that? We ask God for the power of the Holy Spirit to speak in a way that people are going to hear and understand. And use my life for the glory of God. Those four verses just help us understand a little bit about what God was doing in the lives of believers at that time and God was doing in his church at that time and what God wants to do in our lives at this time in our church at this time. The Holy Spirit, we pray every week, Holy Spirit, come. We sang the song, Holy Spirit, come and f- show us the glory of God. Show us the power of the living God. Show us your presence. Well, what's that for? It's not we can have warm fuzzies on the inside, it's so that we can be empowered to then go out and be the church in the world around us and be Christ to those who don't know Jesus. And I love how the Holy Spirit came on every single person. This isn't for some believers. This isn't for the pastor and the elders. This isn't for the staff. This isn't for like, the, the, the leaders of the church. This is for all. As we submit to God and ask God to fill us once again with the power of the Holy Spirit. See, biblically, the Holy Spirit comes at salvation. He comes and he invades your life. But then the scriptures tell us in a few places, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's a constant endeavor on our behalf. Just like we have to fill up our car with gas constantly, right? Because as we we spend the gas, the gas levels go down. We need more. As we spend ourselves for Jesus, as we spend ourselves for Jesus, we need to once again be attached to the vine and be filled again with the Holy Spirit. Why? So that the world around us can see a difference in us and start asking questions to us about the God that we serve and the God that we love. The second half of this text is really about how the unbelievers responded to the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see what the Holy Spirit did in believers. Look, look at this as what the Holy Spirit did in the unbelievers. Here's here, Point number two, just write this down. The Holy Spirit is sure to cause a stir in unbelievers When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to fire up believers for things that matter most. He's also going to cause a stir in unbelievers. There was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews and devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Amazed and astonished, they said, are these not all who are speaking Galileans? It It wasn't the... Country, the part of the region they came from that astonished the people. It was the Galileans were the ones that were least educated. They are the ones that they would least expect would know a second language, not to mention a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. And so as much as it's the believers are like, what? And they start praising the Lord in their little circle. They start praising the Lord and thanking God for all that he's done. And, and God, the promise is here. And this is amazing. The unbelievers are like gathering around the little room, scratching their heads going like, what in the world is going on there? You can read the names right all these people from all these different there's a lot of different regions represented there and they're like they're like some of them are like they're just they must have been partying all night because they are not normal people Others are like I don't think that's it I think there's deeper meaning to this I think what does this mean God's people are just praising the Lord for his mighty works from creation until now, celebrating Jesus and other people are hearing this and they're understanding it in their own tongue and starting to ask questions and starting to get stirred in themselves of like, what's all the fuss about? What's all the focus about? Tell us, tell us what's going on. We want to know, we, we see it and man, there's something about it that is drawing me in and I want to see it. I want to know this. It's really the same reality of our lives. As we live our lives for Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, it it, it ought to cause a stir around people around us. It it ought to cause people to stop and be like, what in the world is going on over there? It it ought to cause, we don't like it, but it ought to cause some eyebrows to be raised of like, "Mm." what does this mean? Why are you so excited about this Jesus person? Why do you have peace in the storm? How can you praise God in this difficult circumstance? How can we get, put the weekend aside to go and talk about Jesus to people you don't even know? How can, how can you worship every Sunday and you, you meet with little groups of people throughout the week? Like, like, what is it about you? Yeah, some people are gonna think we're crazy. I get it, you get it, Right? But others are gonna ask the question, what does it mean? I wanna know. My life's empty. I don't have that joy. There's, there's something missing. It seems like you've got something that I don't have and I want it. The Holy Spirit changes everything for everybody, not just believers, for everybody. Everybody. And he continues to, to this very day, as God's people understand his role in their lives and get under his power and his authority in their lives. And God wants to do this through you and I. God wants to use our lives to be testimonies to the reality, to testify to the reality of himself. This is ultimately what's happening in this passage. When the Holy Spirit comes, he allows God's people to to testify to the reality of God. People, what's come over you? People should be asking us the same question. Like, what's come over us? that This Jesus made such a profound difference in our lives. You, you don't think and talk and act like everyone else. Now you're different. What up? You're not excited about the party scene anymore. You're excited about worship. You used to talk about how you're going to win the lottery. Now you're just content and thankful. You used to talk sports and talk about people. Now you just talk about God and Jesus and what he's doing. What's up? Holy Spirit allows us the ability to testify to the reality of God. Holy Spirit allows us to declare the mighty works of God. This is what's happening in this text. See what it says in verse 11? We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Holy Spirit empowers us to do that say things like Exodus 15 verse 11 and tell people that God is majestic and holy, awesome and praises and and wondrous in his works. The Holy Spirit empowers us to not keep our mouths shut but to be unashamed to, to talk about Jesus in public. And to give praise and honor to God for all of our blessings, the Holy Spirit opens our mouths and we want to close them and and even share how God is shaping the universe and our church and our life at the same time. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit in this passage is, is going to be used to point people to salvation in Jesus. The Holy Spirit prompts us to promote the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He places an urgency in our heart and a courage to speak of the gospel of Jesus. What's the gospel? I'm learning that we need to tell you this over and over because it seems to get missed. There's all these, again, misconceptions about the gospel. Is Here's what the gospel simply is. is that God created... God created, man rebelled, every man rebelled against God in their sinfulness, wanted to live their lives apart from God in my own pride, in my own way, but yet Christ redeemed us by the grace of God, God sent his son Jesus to redeem us, and then God is now in the process of restoring all things to himself, and will one day restore all of creation to himself, that's the simple gospel. Creation, fall, rescue, redemption. Redemption. And quite honestly, when the Holy Spirit comes over you, you don't need a course to figure out how to do this. You just share the abundance of what God has already shown you and done in you. You don't need someone to tell you to do it. You just automatically do this for the glory of God. You don't need more Bible knowledge. You're already smart enough by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes... He rearranges the life of believers and causes the unbelieving world to sit up and take notice that something strange is going on. And the way that he acts in Acts 2, he still acts today. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 1 Corinthians 4.20 tells us the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Hear that? first Corinthians 4:20 the kingdom of god does not consist in talk but in power as christians we're good at talking about it what's way better than talking about it is experiencing the power of god to live it and do it for his glory where does this power come from it comes from above at the right time when we need him most. The power that God gives us is about more than strengthening us for spiritual disciplines, also so important, it's more than helping us do some good things, the Holy Spirit's power comes to rearrange our inside that we could then proclaim Jesus on the outside. This is the unstoppable church. Fully submitted, fully surrendering to the power of God. This is the people that God uses. fired up about the mission of God under appointed leadership of God filled with the anointing of the spirit of God see how the first chapter even has a trinity all laid in there Jesus' mission God appointed leadership Holy Spirit anointed people see the trinity's involved in the whole first couple chapters of Acts chapter 2 it's pretty sweet how God lays it all out for us this is an encouragement for us as God's people to expect great things from God in our own lives, and to expect great things for God in the life that we live. As God's people, we're not just waiting till the day that we die and get to meet Jesus. We get to an ongoing experience, encounter with God every day. We get to see God alive in us every day of our lives, working in us and working through us. This is the joy of the abundant life of being a follower of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the engine that makes the life of God run in you and makes this church fire on all cylinders. You miss the Holy Spirit, we miss it all. You miss the power of the Holy Spirit, you miss it all. I believe too many believers miss it all. That's why faith is hard, that's why faith is boring. That's why I don't have any fire in my life for the things that matter most to God because we miss the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, we can't miss the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't afford to miss the power of the Holy Spirit. Your family can't afford you to miss the power of the Holy Spirit. Your church here, the gathering of God's people, can't afford you to miss the power of the Holy Spirit. So where does that leave us? It leaves us on our faces, seeking God, saying, God, I don't want to be content just going through life. I don't want to be content knowing the Holy Spirit lives somewhere within me deep down inside where I don't know where he is, God. I want the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. I want you, God, today. I want you to rearrange my life today. I want you to use my life to influence those around me today. God, I don't want to settle any longer for anything less than all that you have for me, Father. That's where it leaves us today, hungering for more of God, longing for more of God, expectant for more of God, eager for more of God, willing to settle for nothing less than all of God. That the world around us, we see the glory of Jesus Christ in your life and in this church. That's the unstoppable church. Is that a church you want to be a part of? A church I want to be a part of? Guess where it starts? In all of us, guess where it starts? You can point right here. Right here, right here. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the living and active word of God. God, I thank you that we can come into this place today and we can seek your face and we can hear from heaven And we can be moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I simply pray this. Holy Spirit, come and do in every single heart what you need to do this morning. God, if there's people here that are not following Jesus, Father, I pray you'd give them faith in this moment to see the reality of their sin, to see the glory of their Savior, and to long for what we've just been talking about, a life changed in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, would you be so gracious to give us faith today? God for those that are coming today and they know all about the Holy Spirit but it's been a long, long time since they've encountered the Holy Spirit, since they've allowed you, God, to really work in them. God, would you break down all those barriers, all those hurts, all that pain, all that stubbornness, all that hardness, all that self-centeredness. God, would you break them down in this very minute and allow them, God, by the power, give them a fresh wind, God, and a fresh fire within their souls that would burn brightly for you. Overwhelm them, God, today with your presence, I pray. God, for those that are living this, and they, they see your activity in their lives day in and day out, and they know that you're alive in them, and they're, and they're, they're, they're seeing you work in them, they're seeing you work through them. Father, I pray there's to be encouragement to them today this would be an encouragement that they would would have a a greater fervency and a greater urgency for the things of God, greater than they've ever had before, a greater affection for God, a greater fruitfulness in their lives as they submit themselves to the power of the Holy Spirit and say, God, here I am, do whatever you need to do in me and through me for your glory. I am done with myself, but I am now in with you, O Lord. Ultimately, God, I pray that you'd allow everyone here to live Acts 2. Maybe not in a crazy, super spiritual way that the world says needs to happen, but in the the innermost depths of our hearts, God, would you make us alive? Would you call us to your purposes? Would you give us courage to live for you? And God, would you allow our lives to be a testimony to your awesome glory and awesome grace? There's nothing greater in this whole world. There's nothing greater than allowing full reign of God in us help us in this god we're incompetent people in every spiritual way we can't manufacture this we can't try harder to do this we simply surrender ourselves like god come and do this i pray in us today amen